peculiar time of the year when it's to know where you are and why you have been kidnapped. Well, the bridge of Sai. The guys who works here went psycho. Welcome to October by May. The short stories of Edward T. May. Presented by James Allen May. I am recording this intro a few days after returning to Colorado, my home state. It's fun doing this here since it's where I grew up, where a previous guest of the podcast, Neela Pekarik, lives, and it's where our author is based as well. I haven't yet talked much about the genesis of this podcast nor the connection between myself and the author, Edward T. May. I would imagine you may have put two and two together and realized that we are related, given that we have the same last name, May. Obviously, this is also where the name of the podcast comes from. Now that you've had a few episodes to get into the world of October by May, let me take you down the path of its creation. Edward T. May is actually my Uncle Eddie, and during my adolescence he'd published a series of books compiling his short stories. My brother David and I had always wanted to adapt these stories in some way, and since he was a film major, we always assumed we'd be making a short film or something. Long story short, we just never made it work, but it's always been in the back of our minds. I'm realizing I haven't even told you much about myself. I'm primarily a theater actor, having toured the world with such shows as Beauty and the Beast and Kinky Boots. Well, last year while I was on the road, I'd gotten into listening to audiobooks while sitting on the tour bus. While I love the format, I found myself wishing that audiobooks would include some atmospheric sound effects to really immerse you in the setting of the story. Then, one day I was sitting in a coffee shop, Live Oak Coffee House in Midland, Michigan to be precise, and saw an inspirational sign that read, Create the things you wish existed. At first I thought, well, I would love to do that, but how am I going to go about contacting authors to propose this to? And then... Immediately realized how silly this question was. There was an author in the family whose work I'd been meaning to adapt in some way for years. I didn't originally assume it would be a podcast, but then when the quarantine began, I thought, now's the time to get moving, and podcasting seemed to be the best option since I could manage it on my own from my apartment in New York City. It's been a wonderful creative outlet to focus on while my usual creative job is on hold, and I'm so thankful to my Uncle Eddie for letting me adapt his stories in this way and allowing me so much creative freedom in doing so. You may have noticed that I haven't told you much about him, and don't expect that to change. There are a few details in his bio on the October by May website, but that's probably all you're ever going to get. He prefers to keep personal things personal, and let his art be his art. With artists, you're often better off allowing them this grace of separation. Arts Magazine editor Charlene Davis has little respect for this concept. She is determined to discover what makes Tyler Simington's painting so powerful, realistic, and affecting. She's willing to go the distance to get at his secrets, willing to pull out all the stops to convince him to open up. But if she expects Tyler to share the secrets behind his art, Charlene will have to be prepared to lose something of herself. So full of sorrow. But each for the joy of working, and each in his separate star, shall draw the thing as he sees it, for the god of things as they are. Rudyard Kipling, 
when Earth's last picture is painted. Tyler Symington paced through the gallery in an unobtrusive manner. It gave him great pleasure to secretly listen in on people's conversations concerning his paintings. He sidled up to Mrs. Costello as she and her husband examined one of his earlier works titled The Pallbearers. His technique is certainly well executed, there's no denying that. Mr. Costello commented knowingly as he peered over the rims of his spectacles. Why, it's flawless, Clarence. It's simply flawless. His wife corrected him as she backed up a pace and accidentally tread on Tyler's foot. Oh, Tyler! I'm dreadfully sorry. I was so engrossed with your painting, I didn't notice you'd arrived. Mrs. Costello apologized. Think nothing of it, Hannah. Your kind words are more than sufficient to compensate for any offense. Tyler said charitably. I don't know how you do it, Tyler. I just don't know how. Mrs. Costello clucked as she turned her attention back to the painting. You're too kind, Hannah. Tyler demurred in a rather unconvincing fashion. It's not technique alone. Mr. Costello noted as he moved on to the next painting titled Crop Failure. Of course, the application is only a single element, Clarence. The sum of the parts and all that. Mrs. Costello said vaguely as she joined her husband. The interplay of shadow and light is masterful. Notice how the shading here and here is balanced by the reflections of the sun in this area. Tyler has paid meticulous attention to symmetry. Mr. Costello observed. Tyler smiled as Mr. Costello cupped an elbow in the palm of one hand, rested his chin on the other hand, and continued to gaze at the painting. But there's something more, Mr. Costello continued. I can't put my finger on it, but there's something. Mr. Costello's thoughts were interrupted by a sultry voice. It's the colors. All conversation ceased as the Costellos and Tyler turned to see a slender woman in her mid-twenties, smiling with supreme self-confidence. Hello, Charlene. Mr. Costello smiled broadly. My dear child, it's so good to see you. Mrs. Costello gushed as she bestowed a motherly hug on the young woman. Tyler remained silent as he allowed his gaze to travel over the stranger before him. After Charlene had performed the perfunctory amenities with the Costellos required under the prevailing circumstances, an awkward silence ensued as she turned her attention to Tyler. Oh, I'm sorry, dear ones. I wasn't aware you were unacquainted. Mrs. Costello gasped. Such a faux pas. I really can't believe I committed it. Miss Charlene Davis, meet Mr. Tyler Symington. Charlene extended her hand, all the while looking Tyler in the eyes. Tyler accepted the proffered hand and raised it to his lips, steadfastly returning the gaze of Charlene. You'll find Tyler is rather refined, and his manners are so... continental. Mrs. Costello explained to Charlene as she turned to Tyler. Charlene is the new editor of the painting department of Fine Arts and Cuisine magazine. Tyler nodded his head. Words fail me, Miss Davis. To say it's a pleasure to meet you would be a weak reflection of my true feelings. You are a charmer. Charlene commented. I think we can stick to first names, wouldn't you agree? As you wish. Tyler conceded readily enough. I do believe you're right. Mr. Costello muttered. What are you going on about, Clarence? Mrs. Costello chided. Mr. Costello, bored with the social pleasantries being exchanged between Charlene and Tyler, had turned his attention once again to crop failure. Charlene mentioned something about the colors, Mr. Costello explained patiently. I think she's hit the mark. 
Tyler reddened noticeably at Mr. Costello's remark. Do you mean Tyler has been using a secret ingredient in his colors? Like those painters from the Middle East with their egg? Mrs. Costello asked. I believe the egg was used as a binding medium, my dear. And the painters were from the Middle Ages. Mr. Costello gently corrected his wife, without taking his eyes from the painting. Yes, well, I'm sure that's what I meant. Mrs. Costello sniffed. But your point is well taken, Mr. Costello acknowledged. The Flemish painters did utilize an unknown additive in their glaze to create colors that seem to glow from within, but Tyler's colors go beyond what the Flemish painters concocted. You might say it's as if the colors were somehow mixed with the actual mood of the painting, Charlene commented. Why, Charlene, that sounds absolutely transcendental, Mrs. Costello purred. Yes. Yes, I see now what you mean. Mr. Costello agreed, growing excited. Take crop failure, for instance. Tyler stood to one side and fidgeted nervously as the other three huddled around the painting. It depicted a farmer kneeling down near a field of unidentifiable crops, withered and stunted from lack of water. The farmer's face, partially turned from the viewer, was hidden by a purplish shadow. The shadow seemed to reflect the mood of the farmer, a feeling of unutterable anguish. It was obvious the farmer's soil was not a rich, dark loam. A ruddy dust seeped from between the farmer's fingers as he clenched a fistful of dirt in impotent frustration. The red hue of the dirt implied more than barren soil. It seemed to conjure up images of death itself. The background was infused with a harsh, pale yellow. The burnished yellow seemed to ooze with oppressive heat. Excluded from the painting were the farmer's house, outbuildings, family members, and drought animals. This isolation of the farmer left the viewer with the impression the farmer was wholly dependent upon his crops, and without them he was alone in the world, with only his misery for company. It nearly hurts my eyes to stare at the background color for any length of time. Why, it's essentially like staring at the sun itself, Mr. Costello observed. And what about the pallbearers? Charlene said as she directed their attention to the other painting. It's similar to Courbet's burial at Ornon, and yet the colors are so much more expressive of the prevailing emotion. Wouldn't you agree? The painting showed six pallbearers as they conveyed a casket to a freshly dug grave surrounded by a knot of mourners. The individuals present wore uniformly dark clothing, thus stripping them of all individuality and reducing them to a cluster of pale non-entities in a pool of melancholy. The somber tones had the effect of extinguishing any hope the viewer might kindle in relation to life after death. Each pallbearer wore a dull red armband, the casket being highlighted in the same tone of red. Far from lightening the mood of the painting, the red splotches served only to punctuate the scene with a sinister finality, as if death itself had placed its imprimatur upon the gathering. I would never consider adding red to a painting with a theme such as this, Mr. Costello remarked. Oddly enough, it doesn't detract from the overall atmosphere of the painting in the least. In fact, it somehow has the effect of enforcing the woeful mood. I'm afraid that's my only criticism of Tyler's paintings, Mrs. Costello interjected. They're all so... so... full of sorrow. Is that your secret, Tyler? Mr. Costello asked. Do you mix a little something special in with the colors in order to obtain this unique effect? Tyler... Chagrined at first by the revelation of Charlene, recovered his composure quickly. 
Your unique ability to perceive the subtleties of my craft is exceeded only by your loveliness. Tyler remarked candidly to Charlene. You are certainly a credit to your calling. Pity you couldn't liven up one or two of your paintings, Tyler. They're all so dreadfully glum. Masterpieces, mind you, one and all, but so... so full of sorrow. Mrs. Costello finished lamely, repeating her earlier observation with a melancholy whine. While Mr. Costello took his wife aside to administer a lecture on the sensibilities of artists, Tyler immediately took advantage of the opportunity their absence afforded to speak privately with Charlene. Perhaps you'd like to discuss this further? Let's say around 11 o'clock this evening at my residence? Tyler suggested amicably. You'd do me a great honor, Charlene commented. You accept then? I'd be a fool not to. I'll see you around 11. Charlene departed, and a moment later, the Costellos returned. Why, where did Charlene disappear to? Mrs. Costello accused. Tyler raised both hands in the air. Alas, a pressing engagement deprived us of her intoxicating presence. You alone are left to bear the standard of your sex for the balance of the evening, Mrs. Costello, and a finer candidate I could not imagine, Tyler said flatteringly. Mrs. Costello blushed deeply. Lead on, Hannah, Mr. Costello said jauntily as he winked surreptitiously at Tyler. The section of the city where Tyler lived thrived on its aura of respectability. It was a neighborhood made up of older, stately mansions. Yet, despite the display of wealth, the denizens prided themselves on the absence of gates and other security measures. It was 10.55 p.m. when Tyler maneuvered his car into his cavernous garage. He was in the act of closing the door when a voice drifted in from the darkness. You're just the least bit early. That's a quality I can appreciate in a person. Although surprised by the development, Tyler managed to retain his outward calm. I thought I'd arrived before you. I didn't notice your car. Tyler responded. I parked on the street. Charlene explained. I had the impression you wanted to keep the meeting low-key. Tyler smiled. You are indeed shrewd, and I appreciate that quality in an individual. Tyler extended a crooked arm invitingly. Charlene emerged from the darkness and threaded her arm through his. They entered the house, and Tyler guided Charlene to a thickly carpeted room dominated by a massive stone fireplace. A collection of Tyler's paintings, his personal favorites, adorned the walls. Tyler left Charlene in a leather chair near the fireplace and strode to the bar located near the far wall. He returned with two snifters of brandy and handed one of them to Charlene. She inhaled the heady fumes and then sipped a few drops of the liquid, savoring the flavor as she did so. You're a very determined individual, aren't you? Tyler asked. You have no idea. Charlene teased as she created a whirlpool with the brandy. Tyler lifted the snifter to his lips. I suppose you've determined not to desist in your efforts until you've uncovered my secrets, Tyler said in a tone of mock despair. The secret of my colors. Charlene smiled, but said nothing. She sipped the brandy, leaned back in the folds of the chair, and crossed her legs. Tyler walked casually over to the fireplace, flicked a hidden switch, and flame suddenly danced to life. He lifted one bent arm to the mantle and leaned against it as he stared at Charlene. I'm curious. Please enlighten me, if you will. Do you desire the knowledge for its intrinsic value, or do you merely seek to cover yourself with tawdry glory? Which is it? Tyler asked, turning his gaze to the fire. 
Charlene looked puzzled. She leaned forward in the chair. Excuse me? Tyler turned and looked at her. What will you do with the knowledge when you obtain it? Tyler restated his question. Charlene sat back again. I write for fine arts and cuisine. That's my job. If I write something interesting, we sell a lot of copies and I advance a few rungs up the ladder. Does that answer your question? The response was pure cynicism, frosted with sarcasm. Indeed it does, Tyler lamented. The thought had crossed my mind to reveal my secret to you on condition the information remains strictly confidential. Am I correct in assuming you would not agree to said condition? Charlene brushed away a stray strand of hair from her face. Sorry, there's no way I could agree. Charlene admitted. How unfortunate. Tyler sighed. I was hoping we could develop some type of working relationship. Why do you care? Charlene asked. After all, if your secret is made known, you'd be even more famous, more revered than you are now. Let me be the one to take you a step beyond fame. She urged. We can develop a working relationship. Tyler shook his head. It's quite apparent you don't understand. Tyler responded. If my secret is made known, then others will begin to adopt my methods and... Then patent it. You'll reap huge dividends. Who cares if other people copy you? Isn't imitation the sincerest form of flattery? Tyler again shook his head. Ask gratia artis. Tyler quoted. Charlene nodded, smiling wryly, and finished the brandy. She held up the snifter in Tyler's direction, as if in salute. Thanks for the drink. Don't hesitate to contact me if you have a change of heart. Tyler called, as Charlene made her way to the door. Likewise. She called over her shoulder. Charlene fished her phone out of her purse as she walked down the darkened street toward her car. She quickly punched in a phone number. Bill? Yeah, this is Charlene. I just left his place. No, I didn't find out. Now, wait a minute. Before you start in on me, let me explain. I know I'm on the right track. I've got him nervous. He just offered to tell me on condition I keep it confidential. All I have to do is keep pushing and he will eventually break. Yeah, yeah, right, I know all about the feminine charm. I'm female, remember? We'll talk about it tomorrow. Yeah, I'm headed home. Okay, later. As Charlene placed the phone back in her purse and lifted out the keys to her car, she felt a sharp blow to the back of her head. Charlene regained consciousness to find herself bound, hand and foot, to a chair. The chair was positioned over a drain set in a concrete floor. The room appeared to be some type of underground studio. Tyler sat across from her, an easel in front of him. As he saw her eyes flutter open, he adjusted a pair of bright, incandescent lamps so the light was striking her body, but was not shining in her eyes. Welcome back, Tyler said jovially. Don't even think about hurting me, Charlene said gamely. My publisher knows I'm here and- I think not, Tyler interrupted. If I remember correctly, you told him you just left my place and were heading for home. Charlene bit her lip in frustration. The Costellos- Are completely ignorant of your location, Tyler finished. Your car will be found in a seedy part of town, a section lying on a direct line between my residence and your townhouse. It will be assumed you were driving home when you became the unfortunate victim of a carjacking. The authorities will be convinced of the scenario when they find liberal quantities of your blood in the car. Charlene quickly looked over her body. But I'm not... She began. No, you're not bleeding. Not yet. Tyler confirmed. The heat generated by the lights made Charlene uncomfortably warm. 
I've decided to let you know my secret, Tyler announced in a stage whisper. Once I've told you, I'm sure you will agree the knowledge itself is more to be prized than any crass material gain. That's great, Charlene managed to say, not sure of how she should respond to a madman, for she was certain Tyler was incurably mad. Beads of sweat began appearing on her forehead. Then you'll let me go, right? I mean, as long as I promise not to tell anyone else. Wasn't that the deal you mentioned earlier? Tyler's head swayed slowly from side to side. I'm afraid not. Charlene choked back tears. Tyler reached down into Charlene's purse and lifted out a packet of photographs. He selected one and held it up for Charlene to see. You and your mother? Charlene did not respond. Yes, I can see the resemblance. Tyler commented. Tyler paused as he examined the picture. It's a terrible thing when a child passes on before a parent, is it not? Tyler continued in a soft, sincere, sympathetic tone. It's abnormal somehow. It's obvious you two are very close. Your mother will miss you very much, won't she, Charlene? Can you see her in your mind's eye retrieving those carefully preserved treasures from your childhood? The homemade birthday cards, the valentines, and clutching them to her breast as she cries herself to sleep. She'll take out all of the old photographs of you when you were a little girl and relive the memories. The first time you lost a tooth. The first time you... You... Oh, why are you doing this? If you're going to kill me, then just do it and get it over with. Charlene moaned miserably as she began sobbing freely. Tyler rose immediately from his chair and placed a small glass tube near Charlene's eye. Soon, the tube was full of tears. What are you doing? Charlene demanded as she jerked her head away. The tears are always the hardest part, Tyler commented. You see, the tears must be tears of grief. They simply won't work if they're tears of pain, and I can assure you it is more difficult to make someone cry tears of sadness. At any rate, we have that out of the way. Charlene was puzzled by Tyler's actions. She watched as he selected another tube and filled it with the sweat cascading freely down Charlene's forehead. Why are you doing that? Charlene demanded. Tyler looked at her quizzically. I'm collecting my special ingredients, he stated matter-of-factly. This sweat will be mixed with my yellow pigments. Tyler carefully laid the glass tubes containing the tears and the sweat aside. It was an abnormally hot day in July when I first made my discovery. It was quite early in my career and I had no money, many debts, and was under a great deal of stress. Do you realize I was in such a state of depression I was actually considering suicide? Tyler explained. I was painting a seascape at the time, A drop of sweat happened to roll off my face and land, as luck would have it, in the yellow paint. As I did not have any more yellow pigment with me at the time, I could not replace the mixture of paint and sweat. As I continued to paint with the mixture, I noticed a transformation. It was immediate and nothing short of astonishing. I'm not a biochemist, you understand, but apparently when the human body is under stress, certain chemical reactions occur. These same reactions do not take place under normal circumstances. The chemical changes were passed along from my sweat and into the paint, and somehow altered the quality of the paint. Not just the tone, mind you, there's an intangible quality as well. Tyler reached behind him and pulled out a number of sketches. He began sorting through the sketches as he resumed his dialogue. Odd thing about the bodily secretions, they won't enhance just any color. They're quite specific. Sweat, for instance, will only work in concert with yellow. I have no proof, of course, other than direct observation, but I believe the correlation is due to the fact the color yellow is associated with heat. Flames are yellow, the sun is yellow, etc. Since sweat is the product of heat, 
sweat is keyed to the colour yellow. Similarly, tears must be mingled with the sombre colours of the palette. Blue, black, grey and the like are all appropriate partners for lacrimal secretions. Ah! Here it is. Tyler turned the easel, enabling Charlene to view the sketch as he continued talking. Now you undoubtedly know why all my paintings are, as Mrs. Costello aptly noted, so full of sorrow. The body seems to produce the required chemicals only when it is under stress due to fear or grief, and these emotions are then reflected in the colors of the painting. Please, don't do this, Tyler. Charlene begged. I swear I won't tell a soul. Oh, please don't. Tyler ignored her remarks and directed her attention to the sketch. I thought it might interest you to know I will use the colors I harvest from you in this particular painting. Now don't be too critical. Bear in mind this is only a rough sketch. The sketch depicted a woman attired in a bridal dress, kneeling at an altar, her back to the viewer, and her head slightly bowed. It was my intention to title this piece, Left at the Altar. It portrays a woman perhaps approaching her middle years abandoned on her wedding day by her betrothed. Do you see how the altar and the area behind the woman beginning at hip level are cast in shadow? Can you imagine what type of feelings the viewer will experience upon observing this shaded portion? Charlene struggled against her bonds and sobbed, but said nothing. The viewer will feel the woman's future, her future being represented by the portion of the painting in front of her, namely the altar, offers no hope. Similarly, the area behind the woman lies in shadow as well and indicates to the viewer the woman's past offers no solace either. Your tears will be part of these shaded areas. Now, observe this stained glass window in the sketch. It will catch the late afternoon sun and project two and only two colors onto the back of our subject. The area from her waist to her neck will be illuminated in a vivid band of yellow. Have you ever been embarrassed, Charlene? Do you remember how it felt? It was as if a flame burned within you. An accurate description, is it not? It is precisely what the person who beholds this painting will feel when the yellow strikes their eye. They will feel what our jilted bride feels. They will feel the heat attendant with utter humiliation. The flame of shame and indignation burns within this woman's breast, and the viewer will experience the same flame burning within them as well. Tyler's demeanor suddenly turned grave. He turned to the sketch and gestured at the bride's head. The other color projected from the stained glass window will be a splash of red dancing across the back of her head. Tyler turned back to Charlene. Do you know what red means in my scheme of colors, Charlene? What will a person experience when they see the red? Charlene thought about the red coffin and the red armbands in the pallbearers. She remembered the poor farmer and crop failure and the effete red dirt as it drained through his fingers like a pulverized brick. She recalled the chill that had rudely imposed itself upon her brain like an unwanted houseguest, the first time she noted the dull red employed in the paintings. I can see in your eyes you've surmised correctly, Tyler commented. Red is indicative, no. That's not right. Indicative implies symbolism. This is certainly not symbolism. My paintings are not symbolic. They transfigure our reality, our very existences, into a different medium. The reality is not reduced, it is not lessened by the transformation. Tyler turned his attention from Charlene to his sketch. In my paintings, red is death. Do you understand? Thoughts of death, of suicide, rage within this woman's brain. The humiliation she has suffered combined with thoughts of a bleak past and hopeless future, and together they war against her innate tendency towards self-preservation. Tyler sighed heavily. Do you know what bodily fluid I now require from you? 
Do you know what must be commingled with the red paint in order to generate this effect? Tyler asked solemnly. Charlene twisted in the chair, struggling frantically to free herself. She knew all too well what Tyler wanted from her. She realized at last why she had been positioned over a drain. Tyler produced a long, slender knife from a toolbox near his chair and thumbed its edge. Charlene screamed hysterically as he began advancing on her. Don't worry, Charlene. Your essence will live on in my painting, Tyler said reassuringly. You wanted to be covered in glory, and you shall. I predict this will be one of my most famous, most sought-after paintings. Poor Charlene. She wanted to know the truth behind Tyler's colors, but instead fell victim to the true colors of Tyler's psychosis. If you feel badly about Charlene's unfortunate fate at Tyler's hands, perhaps this will comfort you. Charlene and Tyler were voiced by real-life married couple Johanna Brady and Freddie Stroma. Both are prolific film and TV actors who met and fell in love on the set of the Lifetime series Unreal. Once the industry's back up and running, watch for Freddy on the new Kevin James Netflix show, The Crew. Rounding out the voice cast as the Costellos were Linda DeFuria and Hassan Nazari Rabadi, both of whom work primarily in musical theater and are also founding members of New York-based theater companies. Linda is a co-founder of a feminist theater group called The Shrill Collective. Find them on Instagram at The Shrill Collective. Hassan is a co-founder of Peda a theater company comprised entirely of Iranian and Iranian-American artists. They can be found on Instagram at Peydah Theater. That's P-E-Y-D-A-H-T-H-E-A-T-R-E. You may have already recognized Hassan's name, as he also wrote and performed the October by May theme song. All four of our guests are wonderful people and great talents, as well as dear personal friends and it meant a lot to me that they were willing to give voice to these characters. If you enjoyed this use of additional voice actors, and would like future episodes to be produced in a similar way, please message me on social media and let me know. Don't worry. You won't hurt my feelings if you enjoyed hearing more voices than my own. Thanks so much, and we'll see you again in two weeks. Once again, I'm James Allen May, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of October by May. October by May is a bi-weekly podcast with new episodes every other Tuesday. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single sojourn into October. Please leave us a rating and review, as well as any comments or replies that you may have for us. Also visit us at octoberbymay.com for more info, as well as links to the books by Edward T. May. So Full of Sorrow by Edward T. May Recitation and Audio Design by James Allen May Theme by Hassan Nazari Rabadi